1: will to 1st Samuel chapter 17 and we'll look together at verses 17 through 20 1st Samuel 17 17 through 20 let me apologize for my voice I am battling a cold and you pray that I'll have uh, enough voice uh, to get all the way to the end of my sermon First Samuel, chapter 17, verses eighteen, or verse 17 through 20. Over the last year or so, I've had the undeserved honor of preaching uh, uh, at chapel in several of our seminaries at New Orleans and Southern and now here at, at Southeastern. And every time I'm on a seminary campus, I'm reminded of my days as a seminary student. And I look at you and I'm reminded afresh of my call. And of this special season, I'm reminded that, uh, like you, I sat in seminary chapels and heard preaching as part of the process of working out my own vision for what my life of ministry was going to be. Every single person in this room this morning wants to change the world for Jesus Christ, and you probably sit and daydream from time to time about what that might look like, how you might serve, and where you might be, and how God might use you to change the world. So I want to talk to you a little bit from God's Word about that process, about a critical element of that process that's often missed. One that I think is on display in this unusual text that is a part of a very familiar text of the Old Testament. And so if you would, why don't you stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word. 1 Samuel 17 is the wonderful and famous David and Goliath narrative. And these verses come from the early portion of that narrative. Beginning in verse 17, the word says, Then Jesse said to David, his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look to the welfare of your brothers. And bring back news of them. For Saul and they all and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array shouting the war cry. You may be seated. We are here together. You're at seminary because you want to change the world. But what I want us to discover together from this text is simply this. If you want to change the world, you've got to carry the cheese. If you want to change the world, you've got to carry the cheese. I don't know how many times I've read through the David and Goliath narrative, been taught it since my earliest days in Baptist Sunday school. But as. God's Word is so good to do. There's always a a, a fresh insight. And several years ago, as I was preparing uh, to teach this text, I had the privilege several years ago of teaching this text in the Valley of Elah, I ran across these verses and realized that if David had not been willing to carry the cheese, he would have not had the opportunity to kill the giant. If David hadn't been willing to respond in obedience to this very, very mundane even humiliating task he wouldn't have had the opportunity for this noteworthy act of obedience that b- brought such great glory to the name of the lord and so all of us as we sit here pondering our own call i want you to understand this morning if you want to win the battle you've got to watch the sheep if you want to sling the stone in the sun you've got to be willing to strum a harp in someone else's darkness if you want to fulfill your anointing, you've got to be faithful in small things. If you want to change the world, you've got to be willing to carry the cheese. We're going to look at the way this unfolds together very briefly this morning. The first thing I want you to see is the point of carrying cheese. The point of carrying cheese. And I will tell you, if you want to take this insight uh, uh Uh, with you and share it with others it really is glorious that we do have a text with cheese in it who doesn't love cheese it's the best thing in the world everything's better with a little cheese on it and so that's what makes this text so good one of my two of my favorite things the bible and cheese right there together and so it's fun to teach from this but what is the point of carrying cheese don't miss this the point of carrying cheese really is to change the world it's not God's intent for us to just sort of muddle through, uh, just sort of uh, operate in mediocrity all our lives. But He has created us and redeemed us and wants to manifest Himself in our lives in such a way that the world around us is changed for the glory of Christ and for the salvation of the lost who are around us. The point of carrying cheese is to change the world. And so the question is why does this already anointed and future King, why is He willing to respond? with ready obedience when he's asked to do this very humiliating task. And I believe it's because David had a good understanding of how his life fit into the grand and glorious narrative of the Scriptures. This is the only time this particular construct occurs with respect to cheese. And so as we do the work of hermeneutics and interpretation, we need to ask the question, why? Why would the Holy Spirit want to superintend and make sure we had this little tidbit of information? How do we understand its meaning? Well, we've got to set it in the grand and glorious context of how all of this points to Christ and how all of it points to His mission. My question for you this morning about this text is how does the narrative end? How does the narrative end? Our minds quickly rush to the defeat of Goliath, right? The giant having his head chopped off and everybody cheering and, woo That's that's really what we want to do. But this narrative ends, beginning in verse 50, with Israel in pursuit of the nations. Don't miss that. This narrative ends with Israel in pursuit of the nations. As we understand what the Old Testament means and how it fits in with the grand narrative of all of the Scripture, you need to understand that Israel exists for the sake of the nations. And the unfolding of individual pericopes and the entirety of this mission and history of Israel is that they would be a blessing to the whole world in fulfillment of of the promise going back to the very birth of the nation. Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And so David understood the point of his cheese-carrying in this grand narrative so that he can be ready to say, in chapter 17, verse 45, he's speaking to the Philistine and He says, it says, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down or remove your head from you. I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. And don't miss this. Here's here's the payoff that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hands. David understood his life in the context of mission. I'm doing what I'm doing so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I'm doing what I'm doing so even these people would know that it is by grace. By grace and by grace alone. Not by our weapons or our efforts or our abilities or our strategies. But by the gracious and powerful working of God. God alone, He understood the point of His life and how the details of it fit in. Now, we realize in this particular text, on, on this side, the Old Testament side of the cross, Israel is in pursuit of the nations for judgment. But one of the great narratives, one of the great pictures and constructs of Scripture is salvation through judgment. And so now all of us, as God's redeemed people on this side of the cross, we are in pursuit of the nations now not for judgment, but for salvation to run to the ends of the earth pursuing sinners who are running a hundred miles in the wrong direction to bring them the good news that Christ has become the one who has taken the punishment due them. He is the champion who, who, who rescues us and redeems us and sets us free. But don't stop. You haven't preached a text until you've pointed to Christ and until you've shown how Christ unleashes His people on mission. You haven't preached the text until you've preached the mission. You haven't helped people to understand how to set the details and sovereign activity of God in their lives until they've been pointed to their need for Jesus and they've been pointed to how Jesus transforms us to take His name to every lost person everywhere. And so all the earth may know, we need to constantly put our arms around the allness of the Gospel. Every person, everywhere, every sinner needs to hear because everyone can be saved through the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And David understood that. And so he knew in this moment, even though he didn't know how the story would end, he knew that this tiny detail, this humiliating detail, had everything to do with God's great plan for him, and he was willing. We need to learn to see our lives that way. One of my heroes in the ministry, one of Dr. Aiken's heroes, is Dr. Adrian Rogers. The last year of his life, he was receiving an award at the Southern Baptist Convention, and we knew he was sick. This was 2005, I believe, in Nashville. We knew we were going to be listening to him, maybe for the last time. He stepped to the pulpit, and of course, we rose to our feet just applauding and cheering and crying. And our father, in many ways, in the ministry speaking to us. And in his inimitable way, he finally hushes the crowd in that huge arena filled with people. We get quiet and we sit down, and he says this as only Adrian could do, he says this. Nobody clapped for the donkey. Nobody claps for the donkey. My desire of my life has simply been to carry Christ. To carry Christ into the world. and To have my little life bear Him up before the world, before the lost, and before the nation. No one claps for the donkey. And that has rested in my spirit. And that's how I want to live. And that's how I want to see the little details of my life. And that's how David understood the point even in this tiny request that 's the point of carrying the cheese, but understand also the process of carrying the cheese. Why in the world would would uh, uh, this request come to this great and already anointed king? My reaction would have been different, I do believe. why am I getting this crummy job carrying cheese i 'm the king i've already the prophet Samuel has already told me i 'm going to be ruling give me a better job, I need a palace, I need an army I need a set of bodyguards. I need something. Not not this. We tend to resist that sometimes. But God was at work and is always at work in these cheese-carrying moments in our life. There are six seasons I want you to see that God will bring us into in accomplishing this missional work in our life. The first one is a season of smallness. A season of smallness. David here is unnoticed. The eighth son, the one who when... Uh, Samuel asks to see all of Jesse's boys. He's the one who's forgotten. And there are going to be seasons of insignificance for you when everyone else seems to be getting ahead, when everyone else is tweeting about the latest big deal they've been a part of and you're just struggling to make it from one day to the next. There's going to be a season of smallness in your life. Secondly, there are going to be seasons of strangeness. I've got to believe that in some way, Jesse, because he had these seven sons, at that point, he really thought, man, this is a, this is a perfect scenario. Seven, it's the perfect number. It's, it's a sign of God's blessing. And then number eight comes along, and he doesn't, doesn't quite fit, and he doesn't quite go. And, and so when the sons are invited, as prospects for being king, David's not included. There are going to be seasons when you're just an oddball. When you're seeing the world in a different way, when you have a different kind of perspective and no one can quite understand where you're coming from, there will be a season of strangeness. There will be a season of subordination in your life. David here is serving men, serving his brother, who's really older brother, alive, is mean to him, serving Saul. Saul has lost his way spiritually. And you've got to know through this process that David knows that Saul is not a good leader. But in this season of subordination, David is willing to lift up others, willing to promote them and protect their reputation, and, and always desire their good. Leonard Bernstein was one time asked uh, what was the most difficult uh, uh, instrument to play. Bernstein, a great composer and, and conductor, and without hesitation, Bernstein said, I know what the hardest instrument is to play it's second fiddle. It's hard to let someone else get the credit. Someone else gets to know a variety when often it's the second chair that's responsible for bringing everything else into harmony. A season of solitude. Oh, how lonely it must have been for David in those watches of the night. Lonely out there with those sheep by himself. Lonely on that road. It's a 15-mile journey from Bethlehem to the Valley of Elah. 30-mile round trip by himself. I think it would have been real easy to toss that cheese into a ditch somewhere, wait till the end of the day and come by back in and fabricate some tale. But David was faithful to go even in that season of aloneness. There are going to be times of loneliness. Does anyone understand what I'm going through? Does anyone know even where I am? There will be seasons of stasis. The picture in this text, uh, in uh, verse 15, it says, But then David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. This is the first time David's made this trip. Back and forth and back and forth. Fifteen there and fifteen back and fifteen there and fifteen back. He is a human text message. How long am I going to do this? How long do I have to stay here, Lord? How long do I have to serve in this ministry? Every day is the same. I'm experiencing Groundhog Day, the, the, the movie, over and over again. Nothing ever seems to change. How long do I have to do this? And then finally, seasons of suffering. You realize after David kills... The giant and is promoted to a position of prominence very quickly. The relationship between himself and Saul turns. And for 13 more years, David is on the run. David is in the cave. David is an outlaw. 13 more years. The great picture and trajectory of Scripture is humiliation to exaltation. It's a picture of servant and, and sacrifice and the suffering of the righteous. In the life of Abraham, in the life of Moses, in the life of, of, of David, in the life of Gideon, in the life of Paul, and, and most prominently in the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, a willingness to suffer. A willingness to serve in obscurity. Jesus for 30 years serving as a nobody and dying as a criminal. But understanding that that process was unleashing the gospel out of his life. God is doing a work, please know, in these early days of ministry, He's doing a tremendous preparatory work in you. And you've got to be willing to listen to what He's saying to you. Several years ago, I was getting ready for, for bed and yawned. Just, just yawned, it's just normal, right? Yawned. And my jaw came out of socket. It really is the story of my life, okay? It just, I, could, I could go on and on. My jaw comes out of socket. And to have to go to the emergency room, I, I'm out of stuck stucco. And uh, I'm frustrated and it's no fun and they don't really know what to do because they've never seen this before. they got to bring in some specialist somewhere. And in the midst of that, I, I finally said to the Lord, why, why, why? Can't you, really? Really? I just wanted to go to bed. And he says to me, so clearly he says, You talk too much. Your mouth is open too much. So I thought you'd like to see what it's like to not be able to shut your mouth. And I said to the Lord, I don't like it. What a lesson. I mean, I'm talking about a profound lesson in my life. I still struggle to follow it at times. But, but what a word, even in that, because slowly I've learned to say, God, in this season of great discomfort, Lord, what are you doing in me so that I can get to the place of the products of the cheese? What's the point? How are we drawn into mission very quickly this morning? Four things. It develops a deep dependence on God. This season develops a deep dependence on Him. Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I trust You in those watches of the night. David learned to be a psalmist. He learned to go deep with God. Please hear me if you don't hear anything else from my message today. You've got to cultivate your time along with the Lord. And the more... Difficult your circumstances become, the more necessary that time is. I love what Martin Luther said on a particularly busy day in his life. He said, Since I've got so much on my agenda today, I better spend two hours in prayer instead of one. That is not how we think. But what happens in those seasons is we develop a deep dependence on God and not in our circumstances. I have ridden the roller coaster of ministry far too long. Up When it's up, down, when it's down. Instead of finding my strength and my hope and my satisfaction in Christ alone. Secondly, it develops an impenetrable integrity. When you're willing to do what is right, when no one else is watching and no one else is clapping and no one else is applauding and no one else is watching it, you learn to do what's right because it's right. You learn to do what's right even when it doesn't result in benefits that come your way. And it breaks the habit of situational ethics that is often the thing that draws our heart. Develops a deep dependence on God. Develops an impenetrable integrity. And in that, I want you to see the priority that David placed on his family. Hear that. Listening and obeying and serving and loving his father and family. Because David's great failure when he fails is in this area. So hear that. uh, Impenetrable integrity. Thirdly, it develops a specific skill set. Don't miss this. Wish I had more time. We could tease this out together. It develops a specific skill set. David's got to go in and confront in, in the valley of Elahu. Goliath. Nine feet tall. Wingspan. He, javelin. Sword. Spear. He's got a kill radius of like a hundred meters. Nobody can get near him. Nobody wants to get near him. Nobody know what's, knows what to do. What is the one weapon specifically and perfectly suited to take out this giant? It's perfect. And David has been faithfully honing that and obediently honing that and protecting little sheep that no one cares very much about. So that in this moment, he has a specific skill set for exactly the way that God wants to use him to magnify his great name. And that season of strangeness begins to bear a harvest and a fruit of righteousness. Because God is arranging the details. And finally, it develops perfect position. When you're willing to walk through these cheese-carrying times, God is teaching you, and you never know how at the proper time. We're told that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, you will humble yourselves, and in due time, at the right time, in the full moment, God will set you in this place where He is determined He will use you for maximum glory of His name and maximum announcement. Of the saving grace of Jesus Christ to the world. And you'll be perfectly positioned. Let tell you, I spent a lot of my seminary years worrying about what the other guys were doing, where they were, where they were serving, how big their ministry was.
0: Just
1: embarrassing to admit that. Those things are in the hands of the Lord. And you have to trust him with those details and serve with reckless abandon and deep humility and profound trust in him. You know, I have. Uh, you can think I'm weird, but I, but I have had one experience with an angel, seeing an angel. I know that sounds odd, and you'll be may, you may debate me about that. But but I'm telling you, it happened. And the story I'm going to tell you is true. I was serving the youth ministry in college in Eunice, Louisiana. And I was beginning to be frustrated with that. It felt like I needed to be doing something bigger and better than work with those little Cajun kids down there. It, let me tell you, that's a whole other set of stories. Take, take 25 Cajuns to Colorado skiing. Wow. But just walking through this cheese-carrying season, wondering, frustrated. Now, I was thinking these things as I stepped outside of the church one evening after church was over. I was by myself just standing on the curb. Now, I promise what I'm telling you is true. I'm standing there and this junky, jalopy Pinto, Pinto now, comes down the, down the road and pulls up right in front of me. Directly, there's nobody else in the parking lot. He pulls up in front of me. Out gets a, an elderly gentleman in a powder blue leisure suit. Pinto leisure suit. Okay? He walks up to me and says, I am looking for Eric Hankins. Now, I am not, I, I, some of you are looking like, I am not making this up. He says, I'm looking for Eric Hankins. And I said, uh, well, that's, that's me. And he said, I have a word for you. Okay? And he says, you are exactly where God wants you to be. You don't need to try to be chasing after some other pulpit or some other ministry somewhere else. God's got things He wants to teach you here and things He wants to teach these kids here, and you're right where you're supposed to be. And I just wanted to let you know that. Takes his leisure suit self, gets back in that pinto, and drives off. Now, it's perfectly fitting that my angel would be a leisure suit guy in a pinto. don't, Don't lose the meaning in that. And it's also perfect that the one time I have an encounter with an angelic being is so that He could remind me that if I want to change the world, I've got to carry the cheese. To remind me that faithfulness in small things pictures the gospel of my Savior and creates a portal through which I will be launched into the world to put the fame of Christ on display and to call others into that same kind of saving relationship. If you want to change the world you've got to carry the cheese and if you'll be faithful in these things, faithful with this season of seminary my prayer for you is that at the proper time God will just absolutely reveal the fullness of how your little life fits into his amazing master plan. Let's pray together Father we are so grateful for Your great grace to us. That You came and rescued us when we were running away from You. That You pursued us. And through Christ, You announced judgment over sin and death and hell that was our deserving reward for our lives, lived in rebellion against You and have pursued us in saving grace. I thank You for the callings of each one of these men and women. And Lord, that as they are honed and shaped and strengthened in this seminary season that there will be an unprecedented harvest out of their lives and ministries. Lord, we thank You for the way that You're at work in our lives and world and our our collective lives together. I join my voice with those who've already prayed as we stand at the threshold of a momentous season in our lives together and I pray for our new president, David Platt, that there will be a time of unprecedented kingdom cooperation and kingdom expansion. And that there will be a time when we can say together in this generation the gospel really has reached to the ends of the earth. Will we recognize that is accomplished through our willingness to be made nothing for that
0: cause. Do that work in us together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, We hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for his glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.